You're awesome, God. You're mighty God. You woke us up this morning. You gave us health and strength. You motivated us to come to your house of worship once again. And God, we thank you, and we ask now that you would speak to our hearts and speak to our minds. May you be glorified. May we leave this place uplifted, filled with the fervency of thy Holy Spirit, that we may rejoice in serving you and spread that joy to others. Speak now, for we, your servants, listen attentively to hear word from on high. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles once again to uh, John chapter 15, a passage of Scripture that Pastor Stevens read. I want to look at just one verse. That is verse 11. Jesus spoke these words to his disciples. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. And then Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, looking unto Jesus, unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for, there's that word again, the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I want to preach this morning with the help of the Holy Spirit, and I solicit your prayers from this subject, the joy of the Lord. What? I mean, isn't that a great topic on Sunday morning? With all that's going on in the news, all that you've listened to all this past week on the news, and perhaps some of you were listening to the news last night and this morning with all of the turmoil going on in our world, all of the disagreements, the conflicts. But to come to church and hear a word about the joy of the Lord, that right there excites me. With all of the sickness that's going on, all of the death, all of the tragedy, and to come and to hear about the joy of the Lord. What a great topic. And that's what I want to focus on today. I want to talk about the joy of the Lord. Jesus spoke of a fullness of joy that he was eager to impart to his his, uh, disciples, and, and he wants to impart to us, Jesus' life was full of joy, and he wanted his disciples' lives to be full of joy. He didn't want moping and complaining and worried disciples. He wanted the disciples to be full of joy, and he wants us to be full of joy. In fact, that's how we attract other people. Who wants to be around people who are down and depressed? Want to be around people who are joyful, don't you? I mean, you want to you want to walk into your office if you have an office and hear somebody say, "Good morning." What a great day this is going to be! The joy of the Lord. Now, the joy that Jesus talk spoke about was different than the usual definition or term of joy that we have today. For example, the joy that Jesus had did not come from his social uh, affiliations. In fact, there was some, 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 some folk who thought highly of him, but um, it didn't come from his social contacts, if you, if you will. 
The joy that Jesus talked about didn't come from his economic stability. As we look at economic stability, um, it wasn't like Jesus had um, a 401k. Um, it wasn't like he had a, 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 a mansion in a gated community uh, there in, in Galilee. I mean, it wasn't like he had all these, these things. I mean, it, it just wasn't, it wasn't like that. It wasn't like he had all of his, you know, retirement stuff in place. That has its place. Now, on a divine na- nature, he, he owned everything. But in his human nature, he owned nothing. In fact, one of the Jesus that said, birds of the air have nests. Foxes have holes. Jesus said, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. I mean, he didn't have joy from all of the stuff that he, that he had accumulated. He did not have joy because of his political contacts and uh, political affiliations. In fact, uh, there were uh, some of the Pharisees, I think Gamal, Rabbi, thought pretty highly, you know, of him. And I think Nicodemus, who came to him at night questioning how to become saved, thought pretty highly of him. And then there was Joseph of Arimathea, who was wealthy, who gave up his tomb for Jesus to be buried in. But, I mean, he didn't really have the political contact. I mean, Herod hated him, and a lot of the officials hated him. So he certainly did not get joy from that. When Jesus spoke concerning joy, when he spoke about joy to his disciples, he was talking about a supernatural phenomenon that was more precious than anything that this old world had to offer. Y'all remember that song? I know the butlers remember this joy that I have. The world didn't give it to me. The world didn't give it, and the world can't take it away. What that says is, if you got joy that the world didn't give, and the world can't take away, it's lasting, and it's not temporal. Jesus was talking about a joy that money couldn't buy. He couldn't talk about joy that money... Money couldn't buy. He talked about joy that men and women could not produce, a joy that couldn't be voted in or out of office. He, he talked about a joy that was not subject to popular opinions and circumstances or situations. When Jesus talked about joy, he was talking about something far greater than this world could offer if that's the only joy you have, you're in trouble. If the only joy, if the only satisfaction, if the only contentment you have comes from what this world can offer and what people can offer, you are in deep, deep, deep trouble. So what kind of joy did Jesus experience and, and how does the joy Jesus experienced relate to us? Well, let's examine briefly four, four ways. First, Jesus experienced the joy of knowing God as his father. I mean, that was joyful, right? I and my father, well, he experienced joy just by knowing God as father. That intimate contact brought him joy. Jesus' favorite title for God was father. When Jesus prayed, he addressed God as Father. He taught his disciples to approach the throne of grace saying, Our Father. Before Jesus died on the cross praying your sin debt and mine, 
he said in Luke 23, 46, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. In the eyes and mind and heart of Jesus, God was more than a cosmic reality. The lives of some folk, that's all God is, you know. But in life of Jesus, he's more than a cosmic reality. He was more than a principle behind all creation. He was more than the divine architect. More than the motion that set everything else into motion. To be sure, in the eyes of Jesus, God was his lovingly, heavenly father. And that produced Joy. Jesus was eager that his disciples and experienced and appreciated the joy of knowing God for themselves. Jesus understood that that his disciples could know a lot of lot of people, but 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 only joy would come from them knowing God. True joy. Is there anybody here? In this house of worship today, who is experiencing the joy of knowing God as your father? Uh, Is there anybody here today who can testify that I've had some sunshiny days? I've had some rainy days. I've had some mountaintop experiences. I've had some valley experiences but through it all I still have joy is there anybody here who can stand up and high five the songwriter if he were here who wrote these words I have a maker he formed my heart before even time began my life was in his hands I have a father. He calls me his own. He'll never leave me no matter where I go. He knows my name. He knows my every thought. He sees each tear that falls. He hears me when I call. Oh, what joy there is associated with knowing God. Oh, what inward contentment there is with having a deep abiding fellowship with God. Oh, what eternal happiness there is in knowing the Father for ourselves. Come what may when you know God. Come what may when you know the Father. Come what may when you know Jesus. You will have that deep down joy. Second, Jesus experienced the joy of glorifying God. Jesus said in John 17 and 4, I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work you have given me to do. Jesus came into the world to reveal the nature of God to the hearts of humanity. Jesus came as a tangible expression. Jesus came as a touchable example. Jesus came as a triumphant illustration 
of God's plan for his people. He came to reveal the greatness of God's love for a people, that's you and me, who had fallen and could not get up. He came, John 10.10 tells us, get this now, that we may have life and have life more abundantly. He came so that we could have an opportunity to experience God's love, God's grace, God's mercy. He came that all who would call upon his name would be saved. That equals joy. That's joy. When you know that he came to save you and and me, that's joy. Jesus experienced the joy of glorifying God. Get this now, while hanging on the cross of Calvary. What Jesus teaches us in the text is that God's joy supersedes anything in life that we go through. That's what he's teaching us in the text. His joy superseded Calvary's cross. That what the writer of Hebrews says, looking into Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, get this, who for the joy, even while he faced the agonizing death, who for the joy, even though he dealt with folk who hated him, and for the joy, who was set before him, endured the cross despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus experienced the joy of glorifying God even while hanging on the cross. Right of Hebrews 12 and 2 states, again, looking unto Jesus, the author and finish of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus experienced the joy of the Lord even while going through tough times. And that's where we ought to be as a church. That's where we ought to be as Christians. We ought to be experiencing the joy of the Lord even as our nation goes through tough times. Even as we go through tough times on a personal level, the joy of the Lord ought to be our strength. Now, if you want joy of the Lord in your life, Jesus teaches us to glorify him. There's a whole lot of self-glorification going on. There's a whole lot of glorification of people going on and people on thrones and people in the spotlight. But really, if you want to know the joy of the Lord, glorify him. That means you lift him up. You praise the name of Jesus with your lips. That is, tell everybody who will give you an audience that the Lord has been good to you. Tell everybody how he has blessed you. Tell everybody how he raised you up off your sick bed. Tell everybody now how good you are that got you to where you are, but tell them that it was the Lord that blessed me to be where I am. When you do that, you will have joy. Yeah. Not only... Praise him with your lips, but praise him with your life. Let your light so shine that men may see 
your good works and praise your Father in heaven. Listen, if you got anything going on, you ain't got to run around telling folk that you saved, sanctified, Holy Ghost filled on your way to heaven. If you got it going on, they will know it by your lifestyle. They already know. All you got to do is let that light shine. They, they'll know if you belong to him. If you let your light shine, they can hear it from your lips, but they can see it in your life. Yeah. Praise him with your lips and with your life. Sing with uplifted voice the words of that old familiar song of the church down at the cross. Where my Savior died, down well from cleansing from sin I cried. There to my heart was the blood applied. Glory to his name, glory to his name, glory to his name produces joy in our hearts. If you don't believe me, just try it. Get up in the morning instead of turning the television on and instead of listening to what the news commentators have to say, get up in the morning and just say glory. To his name, praise his holy and righteous name. Third, Jesus experienced the joy, experienced the joy of obeying the will of God. If you want joy, just obey God. If you want the joy of the Lord in your life, just do whatever it is God tells you to do. In John 4, 34, Jesus said, to them, get this, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus said to his disciples, my food, my satisfaction, my contentment, my fulfillment, my joy in life comes as a direct relationship of my, a direct contact of my doing the will of God. That's what he's saying. He's saying my food, my, my satisfaction, my, my joy. In other words, I get joy when I'm doing what God tells me to do. I get satisfaction when I'm doing what God tells me to do. I feel fulfilled when I'm doing what God tells me to do. Is there anybody here who gets joy just in doing what God tells you to do? For Jesus, doing the will of God was paramount. It was first on his list. It was his top priority. Nothing brought him greater joy than having his life line up with the perfect will of God. And can I tell you something? If you want joy in your life, just get your life in line with the will of God. Don't worry about what feels good. Don't worry about what everybody else says. Don't even worry about what people think about you. Just get your life in line with the will of God and you will have joy that surpasses all understanding. In fact, you'll be walking around singing and praising and your life will be reflecting the, the will of God, because the joy because you're in God's will. Being in the will of God was a top priority for Jesus and he wanted it to be the top priority for his disciples even while teaching his disciples to pray Jesus taught them to always pray a place the will of God before their own didn't he do it 
Matthew 6 and 9 through 10, he taught them to pray, Our Father, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. What he's saying is, your will, thy will be done. Down here on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus not only taught them to make the will of God first in their lives, but he modeled making the will of God first in their lives. For while agonizing in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed in Matthew 26, 39, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass me. Forget this conjunction. Nevertheless. That's like shifting gears. You can only go so far in, 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 in first gear. If you want to get on up the road, you got to shift. So Jesus shifted and he said, nevertheless, if you want joy, it's got to be some neverthelessness in your life. You got to be able to say, God, this is what I want, but nevertheless. Oh, yeah. God, I want her in my life, but if she's not the right person for me, nevertheless, oh, I'm trying to help somebody. God, I want this man in my life, some of you might say, but nevertheless, if he's not right for me, thy will be God. God, I want this promotion. I want you to give this job to me. But nevertheless, if it's not in my best, help me somebody. If it's not in my best interest, thou will be done. Thou will be done. Ah, nevertheless, he shifted. But then he shifted gears again. Not as I will, but then he shifted again. But as you will, now he can get on up the road. Towards Calvary. God needs some more gear shifter. There are some folk who are stuck in one. Because they won't do what God tells them to do. If you want joy, you got to shift and say, nevertheless. Shift again, not my will. Shift again, thy will be done. Now you on the road to joy. Oh, yeah. Lasting joy, the joy that surpasses all understanding that Paul talks about, is ultimately as well as uh, intimately tied to our obedience to joy. Notice the wording of the text, John 15, 10 and 11. Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you. Get this now in the text that my joy. Do you see the connection between keeping his commandments and joy? That my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Y'all going to make pastor preach. At 8 o'clock. The implication of the text is clear and concise. I want to give you the implication of the text. The implication of the text, what Jesus said, 
these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Is this. The reason some people don't have the joy of the Lord. Oh, yeah, they, you know, they go to church. But they just as mean as they can be. They come to worship, sing, shout, walk outside the door, and, and nothing has changed. The reason some people don't have joy, the reason some people are so mean-spirited, hateful, vindictive, full of jealousy and envy and strife is because they are doing life outside of God's will. Don't y'all want pastor to tell you the truth? That's the reason why some folks are aggravated all the time. Because they're trying to do life outside of God's will. They're, They're trying to do life their way. And so there is no joy. But here's the application of the text. Here's the application of the text. It is also clear and concise. That in order to have the joy of the Lord, we must do life God's way. Now, back when I was in the seminary, studying, trying to become a better pastor, better preacher years ago, I, um, I made a D in a class, systematic theology. And uh, I, I, I made excuses. I said, well, I'm married and I'm going to school. I'm a married student and I got a son and I got to work at night. I got I, I use all kind of excuses, Brother Butler, for why I made that D. Deacon Miller, for why I made that D. It's easy to make excuses, isn't it? I yeah, made all kind of excuses. And so I went to Dr. Ralph Rivas, who preached at this church some years ago, one of my professors, uh, uh, it's a wonderful pastor, wonderful man of God. And I told him and I laid out my excuses to him. Now, he wasn't my instructor, Dr. William Boney, who's going on to beat the Lord, was my instructor. I said, Dr. Revis, I, you know, it's hard. I'm working and I got a wife. I got a son. And he looked at me. He said, pick it. He said, in order to pass this class, you got to study. I mean, Pastor Stephen, Pastor Joe, I'm looking for some consolation. (laughs) Dr. Stephen, you're an instructor. I mean, I'm looking for some mercy, some sin. You know, can you help me? Can you curve this thing a little bit? (laughs) So I went back and got me some flashcards. My wife and I sat down on the floor of our apartment, and she Help me pass class. I graduated on time. The rest is history. I thank God that Dr. Reavers was not a pushover. I thank God that he did not uphold me in my sorry excuses. But he told me the truth. And he said, man, he said, it ain't no other way. 
I just, I just want to say as your pastor because I love you. It ain't no other way to have the joy of the Lord in your life except to live your life in the will of God. Do it God's way. I assure you, if you don't have joy, you get it. Oh, it might be hard. It might be, be challenging because the flesh doesn't like to turn certain things loose. See, what Ralph Reavers didn't know, what I didn't tell him was, I had a lot of time to study. I was home watching TV. I'm watching the ball games, you know, watching the news, all that, flunking out big time. But there's no excuse for living outside the will of God. Fourth and finally today, Jesus experienced the joy of the Lord by giving himself in service to others. Luke records saying, uh, Jesus said in Acts 20, 25, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, most of us uh, know that that's a favorite verse at offering time to prime the pump for offering. We got some country folk here, right, that know what priming the pump means. And, and the young people, the young people that don't know what priming the pump means, Google it. Just Google what it means to prime the pump. But see, back in the country, they didn't have, like, indoor running water back in the day. They got water from the well. And so the well had a pump on it, a pump handle. And when you, you know, you pumped it at first, nothing would happen, but you had to keep on pumping, keep on pumping. And pretty soon that air would, would bring that water up and you would get some fresh water. And so when Jesus said it's more blessing to give than receive, it was more than a pump primer for a monetary offering. This verse represents a foundational principle by which Jesus lived his life. In Mark 10, 45, Jesus says of himself, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We live in a world today saturated with takers. But Jesus wants his followers, he wants us to experience the joy of the Lord that comes from being givers. It's more blessing to give than to receive. He wants his followers to experience the joy that comes with being givers. Givers are those who have found purpose and meaning in life while serving Others, given of those who have found uh, people who have found, give us a people who have found joy in giving to others. Give us know that the more they pour themselves out in ministry to help others, the more God pours back into their lives. And when God pours back into your life, you can't help but have joy. If there anybody here who has experienced that the more you give, 
to help somebody else, to encourage somebody else, the more God gives to you, he pours joy into your life. Give us experience joy and give him because of God, who's the greatest gift giver of all. For God so loved the world, watch this, that he gave. We're, we're close, like, uh, close to God and, 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 and more like God when we give. And whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Whosoever believes in him, in Jesus, will have joy. Whosoever believes in him can sing with uplifted voices this joy that I have. The world didn't give it. The world didn't give it. The world can't take it away. Politicians can't take it away. The news media can't take it away. Police can't take it away. Violence can't take it away. Injustice can't take it away. Hatred can't take it away. This joy that we have, the world can't take it away. The world didn't give it. And the world can't take it away. 